The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. How great thou art. What a great God we have. Welcome here, everyone. It is good to be here to worship our God together. We invite you to stand and let's continue in worship. Amen. Good morning. Welcome here. My, my name is Doug Friesen. I'm one of the pastors here. And we just welcome you here this morning to worship our God. And uh, the bigger truth again, is that God welcomes us into his presence. And we especially remember that today as we celebrate the Lord's table and we specifically slow down and say, thank you, Lord, for what you did, that you sent your son to die in our place so that he could be our life. And so we welcome you here to worship our God. And he's always joyful when his children come home and visit him. So today, if uh, you're here and you're visiting, there's a welcome card in the chair in front of you. If you take the time to fill that in, that would be wonderful. Also, if you're new to the church, we have an app for our church where all the information is. You can watch services online there. You can take notes during the service. You can register for everything that's talked about here. So please download that app to be aware of what's taking place here at church. One of the things that's happening this coming Thursday is our seniors lunch. It's called Growing in Grace. And the focus this month is on missions, and it's featuring an update from the Ukraine and the fragile context countries, and it's going to be Chris Schrader coming to talk on behalf of World Vision. And so one of the things we need, if if you'd like to come this Thursday, is just to register today so that we can be uh, ordering the food and that your lunch is ready. And if you'd like to do that in person, there's a table in front of the Resource Center, and you can do that after the service. We are looking forward to spending Christmas together this year. And so we just want you to save the date for Saturday, December the 3rd. We're planning to have a dessert and variety night here at the church at 7.30. So just put that on your calendar. We'll be giving you more information. And if you've got something that you'd like to contribute to the variety night, start praying about that. And we'd love to have you participate in that way. It's a fun evening together. We also want you to know that for families, starting at uh, 6 o'clock that same evening on Saturday, December 3rd, they're going to do a gingerbread bash. And again, more information is to come. And with the idea of Christmas and the idea of this week, snow is going to be falling. And one of the things we want to do is be sure that when people come to our church that the grounds are safe to walk on. So we need a snow-clearing team and the snow-clearing ministry. And if you'd be willing to help with that, please let us know. We'd love for you to join us in that way. It's a good way to make friends serving in that way. And another save the date is for Sunday, uh, November the 27th. There's going to be a a concert by Steve Bell here at the church. You can buy the tickets online or at the office. They're $25. And uh, we're just going to take a few moments now to watch a short video on that. And following that is a video about our Precept Ministries. Hi everyone, Uh, my name is Steve Bell. I'm coming to your church, White Ridge Baptist, to do a concert November 27th on a Sunday night and uh, really looking forward to being back with you again, um, singing my songs, telling my stories and uh, I'm I'm really enjoying concerts after a couple years off. So looking forward to a wonderful evening with you. Hope to see you there soon. You can get information for the concert details and tickets at stevebell.com forward slash events. See you soon. a short study on Titus this fall. Well, yes, uh, we have a three-week study for those who might want to just get their toes wet in precept but not make a, a long commitment. We'll be starting November 16th, and we'll just go for three weeks through November 30th, 
And uh, the, the study is on the book of Titus, Developing Character and Integrity in the Midst of a Society Which Has Lost Respect for God. How do you live with integrity in a nation without morals? Can the church effectively engage and change this destructive condition in our society? How does your life reflect your faith? You can change the culture into which God has called you. This is going to be a powerful study, really applicable to the world that we are living in these days. Um, and then at the end of this, we'll take a break, really through the entire month of December and through the first week of January. And we won't start a next study until January 11th. So again, if you have been curious about the Precept Bible Study, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to take it. It's three weeks long, and please register because they have to order the books for you so that you can participate. It's a really good ministry, wonderful study, wonderful leader uh, teaching as well. Um, today, uh, this morning I woke up and I read this psalm, Psalm 59, verse 17. God, my strength, I will sing my praises to you. God, my defender, you are the God who loves me. And I just sat and I, I thought about that for a while. What a beautiful truth. And then I thought about the reality that God is our defender. And in his sovereignty and in his wisdom, he has put governments in place. And however we see the government, God says, I put it there for this time and this purpose. And part of it is our protection. And we live in a wonderful country where we have been protected because men and women have put themselves out into danger so that we could be safe. And this morning, we're going to take some time to remember that. I'm going to ask Azar to come up and lead us in a time of remembrance. This morning, uh, we want to take some time to remember and honor members of our armed forces who've, who've given their lives in service to this country, in service to our fellow Canadians, and in service to even people around the world. The first official conflict that Canada entered was as a British colony, and it's not remembered as much, but it was in 1899 when Canada entered the South African, South African War. That war lasted for three years, from 1899 to 1902. At that time, Canada was merely 32 years old, just a young country. And after the end of the South African War, it will only be 12 years before Canada would enter the bloodiest wars that the world has ever known, the bloodiest war in human history, the First World War. Some dubbed it the war to end all wars. And somehow that name has not aged well. When the First World War started in 1914, Canada was only 47 years old, just a young nation. A young nation that was suddenly thrust into a world-changing conflict. Canadians from all walks of life joined the Canadian Expeditionary Force. Canadians who lived in a dominion surrounded by three oceans went across the oceans and fought alongside other allied forces. It is said that from that moment, Canadians' willingness to fight for the rights of others has come to define a critical element in the DNA of our nation. The high points of Canadian military achievement during the First World War came during the Battle of Somme, Vimy, and Passchendaele. These three battles would later become known as Canada's Hundred Days. For a nation of just eight million people, Canada's war efforts were widely respected by the Allies and were considered remarkable 
for a small, young nation. Even the enemies would con consider Canada's relentless foe on the battlefield, a foe that they, they often wanted not to face. The Germans gave Canadian soldiers a name which later on will become part of our pop culture reference. The Germans called Canadian soldiers stormtroops or stormtroopers. In the First World War, a total of just under 620,000 men and women served in the Canadian forces. And of these, over 60,000 gave their lives. Another 150,000 were wounded when they came home. Since that First World War, Canadians have fought in a number of other wars. In the Second World War, from 1939 to 1945, nearly 1.1 million Canadians served in the armed forces. Around 45,000 gave their lives, and nearly 55,000 were wounded. Canadians since then have also fought in the Korean War from 1950 to 1953, Gulf War in 1990 and 91, and the war in Afghanistan, which started in 2001 and lasted till the last decade. In all of these wars and peacetime missions, nearly 116,000 Canadians have laid down their lives. And a far greater number have come home wounded. Wounded not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and psychologically. They continued to suffer for years, if not for the remainder of their lives. The trauma that these men and women in our armed forces experience extends to their families, their friends, and their loved ones. It is not just the soldier who goes to war, who breaks, who bears the marks of these, these battles, but everyone who is connected to that soldier. So we have to ask the question, why have hundreds of thousands of Canadians fought in these wars, and why have so many given their lives? Perhaps all of their reasons can be summed up in one word, freedom. Freedom. As Canadians, we enjoy unprecedented freedoms. If you have ever doubted that, ask someone who migrates to this great country from a place of war. Ask them about the freedoms that they experience here in this country that they were never allowed to have in their own freedom to express our beliefs and opinions, freedom to associate with anyone and to gather peacefully, freedom to practice religion, freedom to live anywhere in this great country, and so on. Men and women in our armed forces believe that those are universal freedoms that should be defended and protected for everyone. They believe in the value of these freedoms so much that they're willing to leave their homeland their life in Canada, and their loved ones, so that others around the world may be able to enjoy the same. These men and women believe in the value of these freedoms so much that they are willing to lay down their lives. So this Remembrance Day, we remember and honor all members of our armed forces, past and present, and especially those who fought and died for freedoms and values they held dear, in countries that, that, that were far from their homeland, and for people, in most cases, they did not even know. And I ask you to rise and join me in a moment of silence and prayer. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this country that we call home and for the freedoms that we enjoy as Canadians, freedom of speech and freedom to worship you. We also thank you for the freedoms that many people around the world are able to enjoy because of the selfless courage and sacrifice of so many Canadians. So many Canadians who put on the uniform of our military forces. Millions of Canadians who have chosen to put on this uniform and fight for the rights and freedoms of others, many of them sacrificing their lives. We pray for men and women in our current armed forces and for their families and loved ones. And we lift each one of, the, one of them up as they serve here at home or elsewhere around the world, in active combat or in peacekeeping and humanitarian missions. We pray, Lord, that you will reunite them with their families safely. We also pray for our soldiers as they struggle with the lasting effects of combat. We pray that your spirit will minister to them and bring restoration and healing. And we pray that after seeing the evil that human beings can inflict, inflict upon each other, they will see and experience the love that you have for each and every one of us, and that they will find comfort, peace, and rest in you. And most of all, Lord, we pray for your return so that we may know true peace. In your name we pray. Amen. You can stay standing. You know, there are a number of people that are connected to our church family or even a part of our church family who serve uh, the kingdom of God as missionaries in different parts of the world. And, and for some of them, we can't even say their name out loud into a microphone on this broadcast uh, because that would not be safe for them where they are. Uh, and we live in a place and in a time where the parameters that we have uh, to, to live for Jesus, to gather in the name of Jesus, to speak of him and sing to him, to live out loud for him, those parameters are so very big. Let's, let's spend our freedom on Jesus. Let's uh, fill those parameters with everything. And, uh, and this morning, let's, let's sing truth about him as well. We'll sing together. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And just now, as we reflect on the goodness of God and his faithfulness to us, we also remember and I'd invite you to also know as well uh, that this, this week, the Hirsches, you might not know the Hirsches, Harry and Ramona Hirsch are part of this church, and uh, their son John, his wife Julie, have been coming for quite a while. Uh, Ramona's mother passed away just a couple of nights ago, uh, and she entered rest, like we just sang, and the family is so certain of where she is because of her faith. At the same time, uh, they are now in a place where they're living here without her. And so let's take a moment to to pray for the Hirsches right now. Father, we depend on you for everything. Every breath that we have in this life, every way that we grow in you, we depend on you. And we, de we depend on you for eternity. But the beautiful thing is, is that you're faithful and that you fulfill every promise 
and that you are a rock that we can cling to. And so we thank you for that for all of us. And we pray especially right now for the Hirsches, for Ramona having just said goodbye to her mom, but for all of the family. We pray for them that you would help them to abide and to rest in you during this time. And may we love them well during this time as well. And I thank you that you love us perfectly. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing for this morning's scripture reading. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Chad, for reading the scripture to us this morning, and I just want to take a moment to uh, address the uh, folks that are at home watching online. Um, So glad that you found us and are watching, but also just want to make an invitation to come and join us uh, here in person at 2405 McGilvery. Um, We are, I, I I just came up here filled with just being around the folks in this room hearing all the voices worshiping God. And I remember through COVID, when we were at home, every so often someone else was preaching and I was at home and I remember thinking, man, I, wish, I miss being in the room with a whole bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ worshiping. So an invitation to you who are online, come and join us. We would love to, to get to know you. <clears throat> well, I'm sure heard, you have heard of the seven deadly sins. They uh, are sometimes called the cardinal sins, and uh, they're, not, they're not mentioned in one list in the Bible, but they're all listed in the Bible in different ways, and usually they're sloth, lust, pride, envy, greed, gluttony, and wrath or anger. And I remember reading a story about Timothy Keller, a pastor in New York City, and he was uh, doing a series of talks on the seven deadly sins, and uh, his wife, these were at men's breakfasts over a year, and, and his wife said to him, his wife said to him, I bet the, the week you deal with greed, you will have the lowest attendance. And sure enough, he did. <laughs> they packed it out for lust. They packed it out even for pride. But nobody thinks they're greedy. It's interesting. And uh, it's interesting that Jesus warns people about greed more than most any other sin, even sexual sin. And so last week, having looked at Matthew 6 and verses uh, 19 to 25, where he talks about 
uh, not storing up for yourselves treasures on earth that you can't serve God in money. Uh, It's not surprising that the next theme that he goes on to talk about is indeed anxiety and worry because it's money stuff that gets us worried. The question each of us must ask is, do we value earthly and material things more than heavenly and spiritual things? And um, so if we are indeed making God our highest treasure and our master, we will actually experience true peace and rest, even in the midst of anxieties. And if we are letting money rule our lives or things that money can buy in the material world, we will indeed experience more anxiety. And the interesting thing about the scripture that was read to us this morning is that three times Jesus underlines the the message by saying, therefore, do not be anxious. And that's the outline of my message this morning. The three times that Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. You know, we live in a time and in a country with more comforts, more leisures and pleasures than our parents or our grandparents. When someone talks about the good old days, I want to kind of give them a shake because Sometimes those good old days weren't that good. They were old, but they weren't that good. Even during the time of Rome, one of the poets in the Roman period was actually fairly prosperous. One of the poets of Rome said, let others praise ancient times. I'm glad I was born in these, (laughs) he would say. By most metrics that you could ever measure, life expectancy, education, literacy, human rights, poverty, infant mortality, food security, and so on, we are hard-pressed to find an era of human history where the majority of people on the globe are healthier, safer, and freer than today. And yet, we are a worried generation, a stressed people, an anxious society. More meds are distributed, more therapists are employed, and more money is spent on worries than we can even calculate. In preparing for this message, I found uh, that there is an article that says that five herbs will reduce your anxiety. You've got to find those five herbs. You know, uh, some people are so worried and prone to worry that if they don't have something to worry about, they're afraid they, they're worried that they forgot something to worry about. And so they worry more that they forgot it. It's just amazing. And certainly we live in crazy times, but the Psychology Today magazine just a little while ago published an article that called that we are living in a modern anxiety epidemic. And uh, it did go on to say that we've always been an anxious people throughout history, but today we have a whole new set of anxieties that we've not learned to cope with. And indeed, that is the case. Worry is something that we all face. And I don't make light of the fact that we live in uncertain times in different ways. Madrian Thomas, great writer, once said that That if a non-Christian walked into a Christian bookstore and read the blanket of books on the stands, all the how-to books, he would probably conclude by saying, don't you Christians know how to do anything? Because there's every how-to book in Christian terms, how to run a Christian business, how to be a Christian diet, how to be a whatever. And the point is, I think worthy of pointing out, that the point is, Doesn't Jesus have something to do that makes a difference in our lives? Isn't Jesus supposed to be the key ingredient of Christian? And so how come we have such troubles even as the world has troubles? I don't think it's meant to be as complicated as we make it. 
And so I want to take a look at what Jesus has to say about worry and anxiety this morning. And we're going to start with uh, taking a look at the first point. From verses 25 and following, do not be anxious. Why? Because your heavenly Father cares for you. That's number one. That's the biggest point that Jesus makes. You have a heavenly Father, and he cares for you. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? And then Jesus then, he starts by making three points of basic ingredients of things that we all have. We have need of food, what shall we eat, drink, what shall we drink, clothing, what shall we wear? These are essentials that Jesus starts with. And... Um, I want you to just think about this, this word, love the verse, is not life more than food and the body than clothing. I want to remind you that there are three Greek words in the New Testament for life. There is the word bio, there is the word suke, and there is the word zoe. And these are all defining different ways and different terms in the New Testament. Bios, biology, physical life. Suke is referring to soul life and Zoe, eternal life, or life that God gives us, eternal life and life abundant. Which one is, is Jesus using here in this text in verse 25? He is using suke. He is talking about soul life. In fact, there's a translation of the Bible recently that, that translates this as soul life so that we don't forget. Is not soul life much more, much more, than the body, or much more than food, and the body more than clothing. And so, reminder as you go through this text that Jesus is pointed to deeper things than the physical and material things that we get so, so preoccupied with. Next time you're going through a supermarket, stop at the cashier and just look at the magazine rack and take a look at what are the themes that occupy so much of our society's attention, the multi-million dollar business or industry, you will see that it has a lot to say about the welfare of our physical bodies, how to feed them, how to hydrate them, clothe them, beautify them, relax them, comfort them. Maybe you need a nip or a tuck somewhere. I mean, you can find it right there as you buy your groceries. It's all there. There's no end to the cares of caring for these bodies. So Jesus begins by some of the most basic needs about how to care for our soul life. And then he goes on to share two illustrations. And the two illustrations are meant to awaken followers of Jesus and believers in a, a, a Father in heaven to awaken us to the reality of a heavenly Father to awaken us out of a slumber of a lazy, functional atheism. And that's a term that uh, has been used in different ways. Are you a functional atheist? That means that you believe in God and you say the right things and you go to church and you sing the worship songs, but when it really gets down to the panic button and the, the anxieties of daily life, you function as though there is no God. I want to think about that. We have a loving Heavenly Father. Father is mentioned 16 times in the Sermon on the Mount. Father. God is your Father. And I'm a father and a grandfather. And man, if God is exponentially more caring and more loving, I can't imagine how I would ever need to worry. <clears throat> now, when I say this term, a functional atheist, I want to take us back about a month 
I reminded you about a month ago that we have a Christian biblical worldview that is absolutely different than the people we might live beside or work with. And a primary worldview always asks five questions. It asks the question of origin, where did I come from? The question of identity, who am I really? The meaning in life, what is my purpose for being on earth? Morality, how should I live my life? And finally, destiny, what happens after I die? And I reminded you about a month ago that in the Sermon on the Mount, the main worldview question that Jesus is addressing for people who follow him and believe in his Father is the fourth one. How should we then live? How do we live if God is God? How do we live in that way? And so the answer is quite obvious in so many ways, but Jesus is spelling it out, and he uses two illustrations to do so. He uses the illustrations of birds and lilies. Birds and lilies. The birds are an illustration of how God provides for food and, with food and water, and the lilies are an illustration of how God provides for clothing. These are the things he's just mentioned. He says in verse 26, <clears throat> He says in, in verse 26, look at, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Look at the birds, Jesus says. Jesus says you can learn a lot from birds, even geese. You can learn a lot from birds. And the word look, the verb, is a very strong word. It means to fix your eyes on them, to study them, to observe them. And I can't say I'm a bird watcher, but I can tell you that, that knowing the birds that I know, Jesus is absolutely right when he says that they do not sow anything, they do not reap anything, they do not store anything away. Now, I know chipmunks and squirrels that store a ton of stuff away, but birds do not do that. And so, why? Because they have this sense that God the Father is going to provide for them. Jesus is not teaching that it's wrong to sow and reap and store in barns. In fact, it's very prudent. He's making a comparison. He's saying, this is a how much more principle. He's saying, if this little creature is so seemingly unimportant, and God takes care of that creature, how much more should we know that God, as God's image bearers, will take care of us? And then in verse 28, he goes on to talk about the lilies. The lilies of the field, the wild flowers that pop up everywhere. And he uses that as an illustration of, of our clothing, Wild flowers neither toil nor spin. In other words, wild flowers don't have to collect yarn or cotton and, and spin it into yarn. Uh, some people like doing that. But lilies don't do that. How beautiful God makes them. Even Solomon, with all of his resources, couldn't clothe himself as beautiful as some of these flowers and lilies. And then in verse 30, he goes on, he talks about, he says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, it's burned. How much more, he says, will God clothe you, O you of little faith? Think about the worldview declaration this is, this verse. 
Think about the worldview declaration this is, that it's saying, we just sang it, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, three in one, I believe in life eternal, etc. We just sang it, we just made our confession of faith. When you get down to worrying about tomorrow, do you, do you sing that song? Do you think that way? Do you stop and think about where you're going with that worry? Because God has you. He has your back. And so the first argument that Jesus gives for being anxious is not being anxious is because we have a heavenly Father. He cares for you. If he cares for things like grass and flowers and birds, how much more will he care for you? Not all creatures are created equal. Not all life and living organisms are created equal. God has made humans in his image and after his likeness. And and if God has taken care of all the rest of creation, how much more is he going to know your need and take care of you? Well, let's move on to the next question, or the next reason, therefore do not be anxious, because those who don't know God do that, and you should be different, is basically what Jesus is saying in verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. You know, this basically is an argument of saying, you're not supposed to be like the rest of the world, because you have me, God says. The word Gentiles here in this context is simply a way of saying those who don't have a Christian worldview, those who don't have knowledge, personal relationship with loving God, Heavenly Father. And it says in verse 32 that those people, they seek after these things. In verse 33 it says, but you, you seek after his kingdom and his righteousness. I want you to know that the same word is used in the seeking that the unbelievers do for the material things of this world and the seeking after the kingdom that we are to do with one exception in the word, and that is a little prefix, a little prefix that is, zeteo is the word for seek in Greek, but there's an, a, a prefix, epi, epizeteo, when it comes to the world seeking after material things. And us seeking after God and his kingdom. It's zeteo, but it's epizeteo when it's the, the world. And what does that do? What does the prefix do? It intensifies the verb. It exaggerates the verb. Now, zeteo by itself means to actually seek out. It means to investigate, to get to the bottom of it, to know it. That's what we're to do with the kingdom of God and with his righteousness. We're to get to know it. We don't understand God, understand what is given to us in Christ. But then when you add that little prefix, zeteo, epizeteo, it, it means actually to be anxiously seeking. It means to be intensely craving something. It means to be overly, zealously pursuing Worried that maybe if you don't provide for yourself, nobody else will. And so, we don't do that in seeking the kingdom. We don't have a position or posture of anxiety or worry when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness because we have a heavenly father that we know has already given us the kingdom and given us his righteousness. And we seek to live in it and walk in it. But the world is not like that. Jesus says, don't be like them. 
Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. Commit your way to him. Seek his kingdom. Seek then after you seek his kingdom first, for sure seek the material needs that you have. God does not condemn that, but not from a place of desperate worry, but from a deep deep trust, a resting place. Maybe you've heard the little poem Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Learn a lesson from the birds, Jesus says. Too often we are followers of Jesus, and yet we live as though Jesus didn't exist when we, when we face the daily anxieties or that he did not care. We cast our cares on God, and then we, we care about them on and on. We, we worry. We don't leave them with God. We're like the little child that plants a seed or a bulb in the ground and then goes back every day and digs it up to see if it's growing. How do we leave our cares with God? You know what we need to do is we, we need to do the Philippians 4-6 thing that we read earlier in the service. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know what that's doing? That's, that's the displacement principle. Do not be anxious about anything, but instead, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. As, much, as often as those anxious, worried thoughts pop up into your head that you can't do much about today, replace them with prayer that seeks the Heavenly Father. Make your faith a faith today. Not a worry for tomorrow. Jesus says it, O you of little faith. Let's move on to the third point that I'd like to see in Jesus making in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, you know, what what Jesus is teaching here and what Paul is teaching in, in Philippians 4 is reminding us that every emotion that we feel is an invitation. I want us to think about this for a moment. Every emotion, good or bad, that you feel is an invitation. It's like a warning light on the dashboard of your car. That's what emotions are like. Emotions are like the warning lights on the dashboard of your car. Now, what do you do with... The, the, the warning lights when they pop up. Do you just ignore them? Oh, yeah, that engine light, it doesn't mean anything. You just got to use different gas. <laughs> or do you get a piece of tape? I'm good. See, see e- emotions are the warning lights by the creator, our God. And he's saying to you, something's not right. I didn't create you to live anxiety and worry and so what do you do with that we were at a pastoral retreat about a month ago pastors of the church and we were in Gimli and we had a speaker that was describing some of the things that I think are important in living this abiding resting life in Christ drawing down all that is ours in him And he said there's three things that we need to remember when we face emotions that we can identify. And the first thing is examine it. 
Do you do that? What's going on here? Like, you know, whether the emotion is anxiety, whether the emotion is anger, whether the emotion is jealousy, whatever emotion pops up, the first call, the first responsibility you and I have is what's going on. Identify it. Hey, 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 wait a second. I'm anxious. Wait a second. Why am I, why am I anxious? Have you ever had that experience? I had it this past Monday. Except it wasn't anxiety, it was irritability. And I knew I was irritable. I think Pat knew before me. But I knew I was irritable, and I just had to go for a walk. And I was doing this three-step thing, and I, I was examining, okay, why, why am I irritable? And I started to identify a few things that were really anxieties, cares, worries. And I was praying about them, and I decided to phone a couple of guys and talk about them. I had the time. It was my day off. I know we don't always have that luxury, but... And then I went back home and I talked to Pat further, apologized for my irritability. And I thought about the lesson that God was teaching me. The second stage with your emotions, once you've identified, you say, okay, okay, I'm anxious. Lord, I'm anxious. I get it. Second thing is you excavate. You open the hood. You know, you see the dashboard light. So what do you do next? You open the hood. You check it out. Check what's under the hood. Where is this coming from, you say? Ah, right. You know what? I, I didn't finish that conversation well with so-and-so. If you just pause and talk to God, he'll, he'll, he'll reveal it. He'll, he'll, he'll tell you where it's coming from. And then the third one is, of course, evaluate. What is God trying to teach me in this? You may not be able to solve it, solve it, in the moment, but you can get well on your way if you just understand that God is trying to teach you something through that emotion. Hannah Whittle-Smith is a, an ancient author that, well, a couple of hundred, 150 years ago, I think, she lived, and I, I love this. She's quoting from Second Kings 6, uh, this, this incredible story of the chariots of fire. You remember Elisha? And she says this. She says that the earthly cares are God's chariots sent to take the soul to its high place of triumph. They do not look like chariots. They look instead like enemies, sufferings, trials, defeats, disappointments. But if we could see them as they really are, we would recognize them as chariots of triumph in which our souls have been longing and praying. It's another way of basically saying God is speaking through your emotions. What are you missing that's why Jesus takes it a little deeper than just worries on the surface. He goes all the way down to say, oh, you of little faith. It's a bigger deal if you're not trusting God than it is that you are a disposition of worry. Oh, you of little faith. And so these three things, I think, are helpful. The problem is we don't take the time to slow down. We don't take the time to think about things. And so... How do you do that? How do you focus your faith on today's problems? That's really the point that we are talking about in this third point in verse 34. How do you focus on today? God does not want you to worry about tomorrow. 
Well, I'm going to share with you a story that you might think is rather odd for this sermon, but I think it will apply if you'll hear me out. <clears throat> in the Second World War, in 1945, when the war ended, there was a Japanese lieutenant named Hiro Ona, on, Onoda, and he was with the Imperial Japanese Army in the Philippines. And he chose not to believe the broadcasts he heard that the war was over. He didn't think that the war was over. He thought it was enemy propaganda. And so for the next 29 years in the jungles of the Philippines, he lived. And he hid out, refusing to go home. The authorities even dropped fly, flyers and leaflets over different regions where they thought that there might be still Japanese soldiers, and he, he saw them, he read them, he just thought that was enemy propaganda. They even sent him newspaper clippings and family photos. He didn't believe them, somehow. And in 1974, 29 years after the war, a college student tracked him down in the jungle, befriended him, and tried to convince him that the war was over. He didn't believe him. The only way that this lieutenant would come out of the jungle, lay down his weapon, was that the government of Japan found who his commanding officer was, an old man by now, and they had him go into the jungle with the student that had found him, and then he ordered him to stand down. And the Japanese soldier unloaded his weapon, laid it down, and came out of the jungle. For three decades, this man was fighting a war that didn't exist. <laughs> it existed only in his mind. They say that most of the worries that occupy our minds never come to pass. When I think about this story, it, I think it reminds us of us sometimes. Pain and circumstances are difficult. But instead of functioning from a place of faith, having a heavenly father, we function from a place of unbelief. We don't really trust God. We don't really believe his promises. And why don't we? The message of Jesus that declares all hostilities have ceased. God is for us. God is your friend. The war has been won. The prince of peace is on his throne. doesn't matter what happens to you in this body. God has you. You are safe. But then when anxiety comes knocking, some need, we, we panic. We, 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 instead of coming out of the jungle and coming to God, we go deeper into the jungle, into self-dependency, not God-dependency. We doubt him. We might even fear him. We're suspicious. We doubt that God is really in control or that he has our best interests. We think that we treat it, we treat the, the, the anxiety as a test instead of recognizing the opportunity to rest in it. Whatever it is that we're thinking, in those moments of anxiety, we are not preoccupied with the fact that we're loved, forgiven, accepted, and celebrated by God, our Father. Instead, we stay hidden in the jungles of our own making, and if this message somehow resonates with you, why don't you just put down your weapon and come on out? 
Why don't you just cast your care on God and say, God, I'm done worrying about this thing. I can't change it. I'm going to trust you. Why can't this be the day that you plant the flag and say, I am going to stop worrying about this. And I'm going to live like a Christian instead of a functional atheist. And I'm going to believe God that he's got me. And I don't need to worry. You know, when this Lieutenant Onoda finally was convinced that the war in the Pacific was over, do you know what he did? He actually, he actually set up a scholarship fund for the children of the Filipino farmers that he was terrorizing. He went back and he gave gifts to all the Filipino farmers that helped him stay alive for 29 years after the war had ended. You see, that when we do this, when we finally recognize what God's truth is saying to us, we also become different people. And the point I'm making is this, that good news, which is partly that you have a heavenly father, that Jesus Christ is risen, we sang about it, don't you believe it? The good news is not good news unless you own it, believe it, and act upon it. It's not good news for you otherwise. You're still living on the dark side of the mountain, in the jungle, otherwise. The gospel of Christ has declared that God is for you. Your heavenly Father loves you more than anything on this earth, deeper and wider any love could be. He wants you to stop fighting him against circumstances he's allowed, and he wants you to just rest in him and learn the lesson of this season of your life. So trust him. In a moment, we're going to be receiving communion, talking about the meaning of this supper And today I really want the Lord's Supper to be an invitation for you to realize you've got a place at the Father's table. And if he's your father and he's made a place at the table, then anything that you are worried about is his worry. And bring that even in the prayer time now, the silence of this meal, the song that we're about to sing. Those of you who are at home, would you go and get some bread and cup and be prepared in a moment after this song to celebrate with us. If you're here in the room and you don't have a little package, you can get them at the back. You can do that during the song. But let's make this celebration of the Lord's Supper a reminder that God has you, that you don't need to live like a functioning atheist. You don't need to stew and fret over things about today or tomorrow because you have a loving Heavenly Father, God paid the price through his son Jesus Christ to offer and secure peace. Not only peace with him, but the peace of God. Not just peace with God, but peace of God. And you can have that today. And I'm going to pray that you have it. Let's prepare for the Lord's Supper. I don't know what you do at your family table, but... I think family tables are an important place to bring all your cares of the day. Family table's a good place to lay down what's bothering you and to talk about it, your worries, your anxieties, to pray together with the family. It's no different in the Christian family here. This is the Father's table, and if you've got a place here, then he's, he's saying, come on, bring me everything that you're worried about because I love you. And I demonstrated that love through my son, Jesus. I paid the highest price 
not just for your eternal life and, 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 and forgiveness. I paid the highest price so that you could have peace and not have to worry as, as, as you're so prone to do. Let's pray together on that. And the Father, we, <clears throat> we acknowledge that if, if we were to gather up every worry that is in this room and in the rooms that are online, if we were to gather up every worry, it would fill a wheelbarrow. It would fill a truck. And there you are, O oh Father in heaven. You know every one of those cares. It's like we can come to this table and feel so, so blessed that you give us our time to pour out our hearts to you and we have your undivided attention. What a good, good father you are. And Jesus, you, you, you paid the price to make it all possible and we thank you. Today we thank you, Lord, that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. We thank you for going to the cross, giving your life. And we thank you for the bread that we're about to eat that represents that body of Jesus hung on the cross and, and the, the juice that represents the blood that you shed, O oh Christ. And we acknowledge that you paid the price for greater things than mere escape from judgment. You paid the price for our peace and reconciliation and a place at the table. So, Lord, would you bless each care that's been presented to you in prayer today? Would you lift the burden off of your people? Because you've already carried it, Lord. And would you help people to walk out of this room and, and leave the service today lighter? Lighter. Trusting more, hoping more in you. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We read in the scriptures that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body, eat it in remembrance of me. And so let's also take this bread and eat it in remembrance of Christ. And then after the supper, Jesus also took the cup. And he said, this cup represents a new covenant, this new relationship with me. Drink it in remembrance of Christ and be thankful. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. May God bless you all. Lord God, thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for reminding us of your faithfulness. Thank you for reminding us that we are so often just fighting battles we don't need to fight. We're so often trying to control what we can't control and what is frankly yours and not ours. You are all powerful. And in truth, we can trust in you because you are faithful now and always. Please help us to live that. Help us to live that and not just to say it.
because I think there's a lot of peace that we could be experiencing that we're not. And I pray that you help us to honor you by resting in you. Bless each one as we go from here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day, everybody.